This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 125. I want to take a moment right now to thank all of my listeners for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you might be getting your show. So for this week's episode 125, I wanted to talk about the latest announcements this week from both Sony and Fujifilm. So as of the recording of this episode, which is on Wednesday, January 27th, 2021, because it'll be released uh, on Thursday, the 28th, uh, Sony had their online event today where they announced their next camera body. And this is their flagship mirrorless body. Now, if you remember in previous episodes, I talked about the fact that I was fairly confident that Sony was going to release a flagship mirrorless body this year in order to more directly compete against Canon. Canon and Nikon, of course, had the 1D series for Canon and uh, the D4, 5, and 6 series on the part of Nikon that are used for the high-level professional sports like Olympics, the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, all of that good stuff. So, Sony has officially unveiled their new flagship mirrorless body, and they're calling it the Sony Alpha 1. Now, some key features for this new camera... It has a 50 megapixel full frame Exmor RS BSI CMOS sensor. It is uh, capable of up to 30 frames per second. Now, that is with the uh, electronic shutter. The mechanical shutter is only capable of 10 frames per second. Uh, the ISO range is 50 all the way up to 102,400 digital su- super snowstorm. It is capable of 8K at 30p and 4K at 120p video in 10-bit. Now, uh, it's capable of 4.3K 16-bit raw video output with S-Syntone. It has a 9.44 million dot EVF with a refresh rate of 240 frames per second now that's intriguing the 240 frames per second basically sony is saying with this new camera the evf is going to be so good that there will be absolutely no um, blackout whatsoever there'll be no other strange artifacts when you're looking through the viewfinder especially when you're shooting at high continuous speeds it is going to be as smooth and seamless pretty much as an optical viewfinder whether or not that ends up being true we'll have to wait and see now it uh, does have 759 point autofocus system it's a fast hybrid af with real-time IAF as well uh, for humans as well as animals, and it's supposed to be even more accurate. 
Now, it does have five axis steady shot in body image stabilization. Now, the interesting thing here so, a lot of people were saying that with this announcement from Sony, oh, this is the, ki- uh, this is the cannon killer. This is going to destroy the R5. That's absolute garbage. And one of the reasons for that is, number one, a lot of the R5 specs, and the R5, remember, came out this past summer, Sony hasn't really surpassed any of the R5 specs with this new R1 body, other than maybe the 240 frame per second refresh rate in the EVF and the fact that it's a 9.44 million dot EVF. They have 759 point autofocus system. The R5, I think, has like 1,058 autofocus points, or maybe it's 1,500. I can't remember off the top of my head. But on the Sony A1, the coverage of the sensor, as far as the autofocus, is only 92%, where on the R5 and R6, you have 100% coverage of the sensor from end to end. Now, another thing that is big a big difference between the, uh, the Alpha 1 and the R5, the Alpha 1 is uh, set up, with, as I mentioned a moment ago, with 5-axis steady shot in-body image stabilization, but the Canon R5 and R6, with their in-body image stabilization and their built-in IS and some of their lenses, you're getting up to 8 stops or eight and a half stops of image stabilization versus Sony only offering five stops. So Canon is still beating Sony there. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this isn't going to be a bruiser of a camera. It absolutely is, but it's hardly an R5 killer. Uh, So uh, moving on next, uh, dual drive, like I said, mechanical shutter. Now, the interesting thing on this that did intrigue me is it is capable of a maximum flash sync speed of one four hundredth of a second. Now, we have not seen that in a camera body since the old Canon 1D days, uh, back when the Canon 1D bodies were a one, uh, 1.3 times crop. They weren't full frame back in those days. They weren't 100% full frame like they are in the 1DX line. Um, the Sony is also going to have 5 gigahertz MIMO, uh, M-I-M-O, Wi-Fi, and 1,000 base T Ethernet built in. And I predicted that it was going to have uh, Ethernet built in. And dual uh, CF Express Type A slash SD slots. Now, what this means is this, is, this is something that I do absolutely love, and I wish Canon would do something like this. So on this Alpha 1, you will have the ability to either use UHS-2 SD cards in both slots, or you can use CF Express Type A cards in both slots, which is huge. Now, the CF Express Type A cards are considerably smaller. Most people are familiar with the Type B cards, which are the larger ones that are ridiculously fast. Now, the Type A's are not nearly as fast, and they're a lot smaller, but they are still a heck of a lot faster than even uh, SD at UHS-2. So that's intriguing. So basically, you have the ability to use two different styles of memory card technology in the exact same two slots, which is 
fantastic. I absolutely love that. I think Canon should implement that. Fuji, Nikon, I think everybody should use that kind of design so that the, the customer can pick if they want to use SD UHS-2 or if they want to use CF Express Type A cards. That is extremely awesome. I really, really love that. Okay, so getting down through some of the main uh, specs, uh, imaging lens mount, of course, is Sony E. It's a full frame. Uh, sensor resolution is 50.5. Effective is 50.1. Uh, Let's see. Sensor size 35.9 by 24 millimeters. It is capable of recording in the following file formats, JPEG, RAW, and HEIF. The bit depth is 14-bit. And I mentioned a moment ago, the, uh, the ISO range shutter speed mechanical shutter is capable of one eight thousandths of a second to 30 seconds in bulb mode. And it's the electronic shutter is capable of one thirty two thousandths of a second uh, to 30 second bulb mode and one eight thousandths to one quarter of a second in movie mode. So again, that's impressive. The really high shutter speed for the electronic shutter is phenomenal. You'd be able to do some really fantastic and creative things with a shutter speed capability that high. You could shoot with a really wide lens in broad daylight and then crank the shutter up ridiculously high up to as far as 32,000. Uh, one over 32,000, and uh, you wouldn't probably wouldn't even need to use an ND filter. I don't know. I guess it would depend on just how powerful the sun is that particular day. Uh, metering methods are center weighted average, highlight weighted, and multiple spot, uh, multiple and spot. Uh, it is capable of aperture priority, manual program, and shutter priority. Exposure compensation is plus or minus five and one third EV steps. Okay, so continuous shooting, as I mentioned earlier, up to 30 frames per second at the full 50.1 megapixels for up to 155 frames raw or 165 frames JPEG, uh, up to 20 frames per second at 50.1 for up to 238 frames raw, 400 frames JPEG. That's at 20 frames per second versus 30. Uh, and then, of course, up to 15 frames per second at 50.1. And you can also do five frames per second. So you can go 5, 15, 20, and 30 with the electronic shutter. Now, the mechanical shutter you can do up to 10 frames a second raw and jpeg eight frames six frames and three three frames all of those at the full 50.1 megapixels now another thing that's intriguing about this camera is sony decided to put a dedicated dial on the left hand side on the top of the body for switching between the continuous shooting modes so that is definitely intriguing i don't think i've ever seen that on a camera before using a dial usually it's just a push button or something like that so that is definitely intriguing as well and of course i'll, I'll share this information in the show notes for the episode so that you can check it out for yourself now it is capable of internal recording and has a self-timer capable of two five and ten second delay um, I'm not going to go over the full video specs because I don't want to bore my listeners too much. Um, external recording modes, raw 16-bit, 4.2K, uh, 4264 by 2408 up to 5994P, uh, 422 10-bit, and 4208-bit. 
Now, the recording limit for video. This is huge. This is something that Canon and the others need to get on the bandwagon because Sony's cameras have an unlimited recording time. Now, Sony is saying that uh, even though this camera does 8K video like the R5, they initially claimed in their presentation no overheating, but then they later admitted that the maximum recording time, even though the recording interval is unlimited, the maximum recording time you could actually get before you would see overheating is about an hour. So not really any better than the R5 after Canon released the firmware updates for the R5. And if you remember in previous episodes, I mentioned that the actual uh, R5 issue was not overheating. It was a fake overheat that was caused by a firmware timer, uh, which Canon has since addressed with firmware updates. Um, and I know Jared Poland, when I was listening to him talk today about this camera, uh, he, he is currently shooting all of his YouTube videos using R5s, and he regularly shoots 8K and 4K HQ on the R5s for an hour plus without any overheating issues. So on by, Sony's going to be on par with Canon for that. So again, this is not a R5 killer like a lot of people were trying to claim it was going to be. Okay, the focus system, focus type, auto and manual, both focus modes, continuous servo AF, which is C mode, direct manual focus DMF, and manual focus M, and single servo AF, which is S mode. The autofocus points, as I mentioned, phase detect, uh, 759 points, contrast detect, 425 points. Okay, now, this is where things are a little bit strange on this camera. Uh, so, as I mentioned, the viewfinder is 9.44 million dots, which is really cool. That's a super, super crisp and sharp image in the EVF. That's absolutely amazing. The part that's weird, though, is the rear LCD. So, the size is 3-inch, which is fine, but the resolution is only 1.4 million dots which is really really low resolution i'm really surprised and it is not a very angled tilt screen it is a simple tilt screen kind of like my gfx 50r has um, you can't flip it out to the side and all of that stuff so it's not a very angle uh, flip screen which is interesting i'm not sure why they chose to go that route now the one thing i can tell you as i predicted in previous episodes this camera it was confirmed today that it does have sony's updated menu system from the a7s3 which is going to make a lot of people really really happy because that i haven't seen it myself haven't played around with it but a lot of people are saying it is light years better than than uh, Sony's old menu system, which most people really hated with a passion. So uh, it's definitely good to see that they did go with what I thought they were going to do, and they decided to go with the newer menu system um, in this body. Now, this is something else that's a little bit odd to me. So for the physical battery, one times NP dash fz 100 rechargeable lithium-ion battery 7.2 volts dc at 2280 milliamp hours for approximately 430 shots okay so this confuses me if this is supposed to be sony's flagship mirrorless sports body then why has it got such a small battery and, and, and i'm not saying that to be mean but if you look the a7 
or I mean, I'm sorry, the A92, which is their current sports camera, um, has about the same size battery and gets a little over 500 shots on a charge. Um, so I'm not, I'm kind of baffled because, you know, if you know anything about the flagship DSLRs, especially, uh, from both Canon and Nikon, their flagship DSLR sport bodies have a massive battery in them. I mean, huge. And the cameras, the physical body of the camera is big and beefy with basically like a built in vertical grip. This doesn't have any of that. This body's form factor is about the same as the A7R4 or the A92. So it's it's as small as their other full frame bodies, uh, bigger than the A7C, of course. Um, but it doesn't have a large battery. Now, I'm sure they're going to offer a battery grip for it, probably, because Sony usually does. And then you'd be able to put in two batteries. But, and I, you know, there's no guarantee this is going to happen. But if you remember in previous episodes, I said that when Canon releases their R1, which is going to be their mirrorless flagship sports body to replace the 1DX line, I can almost guarantee you Canon's going to use that same massive 1DX battery or something similar in their R1 body. And it'll have a built-in vertical grip. There's no way Canon is going to release a new flagship sports camera, mirrorless sports camera, and make it a little bitty rinky-dink thing. No, they're going to make it huge. It's going to be beefy. It's going to be sturdy. It's going to be like a brick like the 1DX line is. And if Nikon ever gets to that point, I'm sure they'll do the same thing. Um, If they eventually release their mirrorless flagship sports body, it is more than likely going to be a big, beefy, heavily weather-sealed brick, just like the D4, D5, D6. So, uh, But it's definitely an exciting announcement by Sony. I am sure people are really stoked and excited. Now, the total weight for the camera body only is 1.6 pounds or 737 grams. So, like I said, big announcement from Sony today um, that is going to make people really happy and excited. Now, I'm going to take just a short break here, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the next new camera that is releasing uh, or is announced this week. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191, and you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com, and you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag liamphotopodcast. And now, back to the show. Okay, and we're back. So the second big announcement this week, and it actually, well, their live event hasn't happened yet. It's happening on the day this episode releases, which is Thursday, the 28th of January, 2021 at 8 a.m. Eastern time. And that's the Fuji event. Now, even though their live event is happening tomorrow, and again, I said I'm recording this episode on Wednesday, uh, Fuji did go ahead and officially announce online that their new camera is coming out, and that is the new Fujifilm GFX 100S medium format mirrorless camera. Now, 
This is exciting. You know, it's been talked about for a little while. I've been talking about it on uh, previous episodes of the show recently, the fact that this camera was coming. Um, now, here are the key features for the 100S. It's got the or it's got a 102 megapixel 43.8 by 32.9 millimeter BSI CMOS sensor. It has the X processor 4 image processor. It is capable of 4K 30 video with F-Log gamma 12-bit raw output. It has a 3.69 million dot OLED EVF, so nowhere near as much resolution as the Sony one does. It has a 3.2-inch, 2.36 million dot tilting touchscreen, um, which is considerably better than the, than the touchscreen on the back of the new Sony. It has the 5-axis sensor shift image stabilization, just like the Sony does. Uh, five stops of in-body image stabilization. Uh, the 100S has 425-point phase detect autofocus system. is capable of ISO ranges from 100 to 12,800 at up to five frames per second shooting speed, which is up a little bit from their previous GFX bodies. Now, the thing that's interesting on this and the, one, the GFX 100, the previous... Um, big mirrorless medium format body from Fuji also had this, I believe, and that's a 400 megapixel pixel shift multi-shot. So in other words, this camera, even though it's a 102 megapixel sensor, if you use the pixel shift multi-shot, you capture 16 raw files with the, with the pixel shift and it will spit out a 400 megapixel raw file which is ridiculously massive you're talking on par with the top of the line Hasselblad medium format digital bodies the ones that cost like a hundred thousand dollars and of course it comes with 19 Fujifilm film simulation modes uh, which is super super exciting now, this body is considerably smaller uh, than the GFX100. As I said, it was going to be. It's a, actually even slightly smaller than the 50S. Um, in some ways, uh, well, I guess I shouldn't really say. I was going to say in some ways it's kind of small and compact uh, the way my 50R is. Uh, but it's not it's not really in the rangefinder style. It has the, the EVF in the center of the body in the back instead of off to the left. Um, but it is really cool because it has a very large, um, uh, what do they call the e-ink um, LCD on the top of it that shows you your shutter speed, your f-stop, your ISO, all of that other data. It's a really big one. Looks like it's considerably larger than the one on my EOS R. Um, this is just a really sleek and sexy looking camera. Okay, so let's get into some of the more uh, detailed specs. Imaging, the lens mount, of course, is Fujifilm G. It is a medium format camera. Sensor resolution effective is 102 megapixels. Aspect ratio of 1 to 1, 3 to 2, 4 to 3, 5 to 4, 7 to 6, 16 to 9, and 65 to 24. The sensor type is CMOS. The size, again, is 43.8 by 32.9 millimeters. Now, the interesting thing here, image file format, DNG, JPEG, and TIFF. So this is capable of recording raw files in the Adobe DNG 
universal format as well as TIFF RAW files. So that's interesting. I'm kind of surprised it doesn't do the, the more modern HEIF that is supposed to replace JPEG. Uh, but it is interesting that it does DNG. That's really cool. The bit depth is 16-bit and, again, has five-axis in-body image stabilization. Um, it has an electronic shutter and a focal plane shutter. Now, for shutter speeds, you have mechanical. You're able to do one four-thousandths of a second to 3,600 seconds. Um, you can do one four thousandths to four seconds in program mode. You can do one four thousandths to 30 seconds in aperture priority mode. And you can do zero to 60 minutes in bulb mode, which is a crazy, crazy long shutter. Uh, the electronic shutter is capable of one uh, 16 thousandths to 3600 seconds, uh, one 16 thousandths to four seconds in program mode, one 16 thousandths to 30 seconds in aperture priority mode, and zero to 60 minutes in bulb mode once again. Now, the electronic front curtain shutter is capable of one four thousandths to 3600, one four thousandths to four seconds in, a, in program mode, one four thousandths to 30 seconds in aperture priority mode, and zero to 60 minutes in bulb mode once again. For movie mode, it's capable of one four thousandths to one uh, 24th of a second for the movie mode. So that is definitely interesting and intriguing as well. Uh, a lot of uh, really fantastic technology in this new Fujifilm body. So it's definitely something that you could be excited about, especially if you're into the Fuji GFX uh, series like I am. That's really, really cool. Now, granted, it can't do one eight thousandths of a second like the Sony R1 or A1 can, excuse me. Uh, but still, at one four thousandths, that's pretty respectable. Okay, so metering methods, you have average, center-weighted average, multi-zone, and spot. And then exposure modes, you have aperture priority, manual, program, and shutter priority. Exposure compensation is plus or minus uh, 5 EV in one-third steps, similar to the Sony. Uh, white balance, you have auto, color temperature, custom, fine, fluorescent, incandescent, shade, and underwater, which I find intriguing. Okay, continuous shooting up to 5 frames a second at 102 megapixels for up to 16 frames raw or 42 frames JPEG before the buffer fills up. Up to 2 frames per second at 102 megapixels for up to 45 frames raw. Unlimited frames in JPEG. So you do have two different speeds, 5 frames per second and 2. Uh, electronic shutter up to 2.9 frames per second at 102 megapixels for up to 23 frames raw or 64 frames JPEG. Interval recording, yes. Self-timer, 2 and 10 second delay. Now, again, I'm not going to go through all of the video recording modes because, I mean, to be honest, this camera is capable of 4K, but if I do get one, I'm not buying it for the video capabilities. I'm buying it for that massive sensor for my stills. Okay, so external recording modes, we have RAW 12-bit, uh, DCI 4K 496 by 2160 at 2397 uh, 23976P, 24P, 25P, and 2997P. And 422 10-bit DCI 4K 4096 2160 at 2390, uh, 976P, 24P, 25P, and 2997P. 
Okay, isosensitivity, um, 100 to 12,800 can be extended to 25,600. I don't know why it says 200 here because at the very top, the key point at the start said that the lowest ISO was ISO 100. So I don't know if there's a typo here or not. Um, but that is interesting that it's different in the two sections. So focus type, auto and manual, of course. Focus modes, continuous servo AFC, manual focus M, and single servo AFS. Uh, phase detect auto focus points, 425, which I believe cover, yes, 100% of the sensor from edge to edge. So again, beating out the Sony. Um, now the uh, viewfinder is a half inch size, uh, 3.3. Uh, 3,690,000 dots, 3.6 million basically, uh, 23 million, uh, 23 millimeter eye point, 100% coverage of course. Uh, the rear LCD is 3.2 inch, 2.36 million dot, and it is a three-way tilting touchscreen unlike the Sony. Uh, so that is definitely interesting as well. Um, now, the max sync speed with flash is still only 1 uh, 1 25th of a second, which I still think is kind of odd that Fuji goes that slow. I mean, you'd think they would at least go uh, 1 250th of a second, but they're not. Uh, the memory cards for this, dual slots, uh, SD, SDHC, and SDXC UHS Type 2 and it has Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. Now, the interesting thing here is it looks like um, so, uh, Fuji is releasing a new battery. If you remember, the GFX100, the GFX50S, and the 50R all take the same battery. Uh, but I do believe this one's taking a new battery. It's an NP-W235, 7.2 volt lithium ion rechargeable at 2200 milliamp hours that is capable of approximately 460 shots on a charge. And of course, that's all going to depend on what features and functions you have uh, that you're using as you're shooting, whether or not you might deplete the battery uh, faster or you might get more shots um, per charge, less shots per charge. It's all going to depend on what, you know, what features and functions in the camera you're actually going to be utilizing, you know, whether you're going to get more or less charge. Now, it is definitely a different battery. Uh, the other three GFX cameras all take the NP-T125 battery. Now, the interesting thing is, is just like on the Sony um, A1, it's a single battery camera. So unlike the GFX100, this camera's predecessor, the GFX100 was basically like the Canon 1DX line. It was a massive physical camera with the built-in vertical grip, and it took two batteries. Now, this camera only takes one battery. Whether or not Fuji is going to release an additional battery grip for this model, um, hopefully they will, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Now, the total camera weight is two pounds or 900 grams. Uh, body with battery and memory cards inserted. Now, the one remaining thing I wanted to mention about these two cameras, because these are both super, super exciting cameras. And to be honest, I, you remember I've said before in previous episodes, I really wanted to get the GFX 100, but at $10,000, that was a little bit too high a price for my taste. And I'm really glad 
that I didn't go that route. I'm glad that I went with the 50R for the time being, because now I think I'm going to get this new GFX 100S. Um, and then I will sell my 50R off to recoup uh, probably about half what I'll pay for the 50S. So that is the final point for both of these bodies. So going back to the Sony Alpha 1 for a moment, this new flagship body from Sony is retailing at $6,500, just as I predicted. Expected availability shipping will begin Thursday, March 4th, according to Sony. So there's another thing, another reason why this A1 is not a R5 killer. Because if you remember, I said the R5 has a lot of this technology that the R1 is just coming out with, Sony's just coming out with in the R1. Canon's already had it on the market for going on a year now. And then on top of that, the A1 sells for $6,500, where the R5 only sells for $3,800. So that's a heck of a difference in price. The Sony is almost twice the money with nothing really major um, technology-wise over the Canon other than the really high resolution and fast refresh rate on their EVF. And again, I'm not saying that to bash Sony. I'm just really surprised. I thought Sony would have really come out swinging a lot harder at Canon. But to give them the benefit of the doubt, this is their first foray into a flagship body of any kind. So we'll have to wait and see how that fleshes out. Now, as far as the GFX 100S, the price on this body is $6,000, $5,999. Expected availability shipping will begin Thursday, March 11th, according to Fujifilm. So this is definitely interesting and exciting. The Fujifilm mirrorless medium format camera is actually $500 cheaper than the Sony A1 mirrorless flagship sports body. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of interesting news this week. I'm sure there are a lot of people super excited about these cameras. I'm excited, and I'm not even a Sony shooter, just because I love seeing the, you know, the competition in the market. I think it's great that Sony came out swinging at uh, Canon and Nikon as far as the uh, the mirrorless uh, sports body or, you know, wanting to compete in the sports body market. I think that's absolutely exciting and we'll have to wait and see exactly, you know, how this is all going to flesh out. It, you know, it's hard to tell. We're just going to have to wait and see. But it is exciting news from Sony this week and it's going to really heat up the mirrorless camera wars in 2021, just like I predicted it would. All right, so that is going to wrap up this episode. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you are in the group, you are free to post your own original work. 
I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, and as I mentioned a moment ago, that is going to wrap up this episode 125 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. Now, I did also want to share with my listeners, I decided this past Sunday to move my podcast hosting. I had been with SoundCloud for the last couple of years, and I'm not saying they're not a good company, um, but this past Sunday, I decided to transition my show over to Blueberry Podcast Hosting. Um, so that is the platform the show is on now. You don't have to worry about missing any past episodes that were on SoundCloud because they've all been migrated over to Blueberry. And I also put in a redirect on SoundCloud to my new feed on Blueberry, so you won't miss any of those back episodes if you want to go back and listen to them. Now, also remember the first book in my Forgotten Pieces of Georgia series is available for sale, Forgotten Pieces of Georgia in the Northwest Counties. You can pick up a signed copy at liamphotography.net or an unsigned copy at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. All right, thank you for joining me once again, and I will see you again in another seven days.